Could be worse, DABT 2022 ICHM3 Revision 2, Guidance on Non-Clinical Safety Studies for the Conduct of Human Clinical Trials and Marketing Authorization for Pharmaceuticals. Note this is an abridged version of the guideline. It does not go into as much detail as the full guideline. Some parts and even some paragraphs have been left out. This version focuses on the parts of the guideline most likely to be on the DABT exam. As always, for the actual practice of toxicology, please read the fine manual. Although not discussed in this guidance, consideration should be given to the use of new in vitro alternative methods for safety evaluation. These methods, if validated and accepted by all ICH regulatory authorities, can be used to replace current standard methods. The non-clinical safety assessment for marketing approval of a pharmaceutical usually includes pharmacology studies, general toxicity studies, toxicokinetic and non-clinical pharmacokinetic studies, reproduction toxicity studies, genotoxicity studies, and for drugs that have a special cause for concern or are intended for a long duration of use, an assessment of carcinogenic potential. Other non-clinical studies to assess phototoxicity, immunotoxicity, juvenile animal toxicity, and abuse liability should be conducted on a case-by-case basis. The need for non-clinical safety studies and their relation to the conduct of human clinical trials is delineated in this guidance. This document applies to the situations usually encountered during the development of pharmaceuticals and should be viewed as general guidance for drug development. Non-clinical safety studies and human clinical trials should be planned and designed to represent an approach that is scientifically and ethically appropriate. For biotechnology-derived products, appropriate non-clinical safety studies should be determined in accordance with ICH S6. For biotechnology-derived products, appropriate non-clinical safety studies should be determined in accordance with ICH S6. For those products, this guideline only provides guidance with regards to the timing of non-clinical studies relative to clinical development. Pharmaceuticals under development for indications in life-threatening or serious diseases, for example, advanced cancer, resistant HIV infection, and congenital enzyme deficiency diseases without current effective therapy also warrant a case-by-case approach to both the toxicological evaluation and clinical development in order to optimize and expedite drug development. In these cases, and for products using innovative therapeutic modalities such as siRNA, as well as vaccine adjuvants, particular studies can be abbreviated, deferred, omitted, or added. Where ICH guidelines for specific product areas exist, they should be consulted. General principles. The development of a pharmaceutical is a stepwise process involving an evaluation of both animal and human efficacy and safety information. The goals of the non-clinical safety evaluation generally include a characterization of toxic effects with respect to target organs, dose dependence, relationship to exposure, and when appropriate, potential reversibility. This information is used to estimate an initial safe starting dose and dose range for the human trials and to identify parameters for clinical monitoring for potential adverse effects. The non-clinical safety studies, although usually limited at the beginning of clinical development, should be adequate to characterize potential adverse effects that might occur under the conditions of the clinical trial to be supported. Human clinical trials are conducted to investigate the efficacy and safety of pharmaceutical, starting with relatively low systemic exposures in a small number of subjects. This is followed by clinical trials in which exposure to the pharmaceutical usually increases by duration and or size of the exposed patient population. Clinical trials should be extended based on the demonstration of adequate safety in the previous clinical trials, as well as on additional non-clinical safety information that becomes available as clinical development proceeds. 
Serious adverse clinical or non-clinical findings can influence the continuation of clinical trials. Within the overall clinical context, these findings should be evaluated to determine the appropriateness and design of additional non-clinical and or clinical studies. Clinical trials are conducted in phases for which different terminology has been utilized in the various regions. However, as there is a growing trend to merge phases of clinical development, in some cases, this document also relates to the non-clinical studies, to the duration and size of clinical trials, and the characteristics of the subjects included. High-dose selection for general toxicity studies. Generally, in toxicity studies, effects that are potentially clinically relevant can be adequately characterized using doses up to the maximum tolerated dose. It is not essential to demonstrate the maximum tolerated dose in every study. Other equally appropriately limiting doses include those that achieve large exposure multiples or saturation of exposure or use the maximum feasible dose. These limit doses prevent the use of doses in animals that would not add value to predicting clinical safety. These recommendations are consistent with those for reproduction and carcinogenicity study designs that already have defined limit doses and or exposures. Limit doses for acute, subchronic, and chronic toxicity studies of 1,000 mg per kilogram per day for rodents and non-rodents are considered appropriate in all cases except those discussed below. In the few situations where a dose of 1,000 mg per kilogram per day does not result in a mean exposure margin of tenfold to the clinical exposure and the clinical dose exceeds 1 gram per day, then the doses in the toxicity studies should be limited by a tenfold exposure margin or a dose of 2,000 mg per kilogram per day or the maximum feasible dose, whichever is lower. In those rare situations in which the dose of 2,000 mg per kilogram per day results in exposure that is less than the clinical exposure, a higher dose up to the maximum feasible dose can be considered. Doses providing a 50-fold margin of exposure, usually based on group mean area under the curve values of the parent drug or the pharmacologically active molecule of a prodrug to the clinical systemic exposure generally are also considered acceptable as the maximum dose for acute and repeated dose toxicity studies in any species. To support phase three clinical trials for the United States, dose limiting toxicity generally should be identified in at least one species when using the 50-fold margin of exposure as the limit dose. If this is not the case, a study of one month or longer duration in one species that is conducted at the 1,000 milligrams per kilogram per day dose, maximum feasible dose, or a maximum tolerable aided dose, whichever is lowest, is recommended. However, on a case-by-case basis, this study might not be warranted if a study of a shorter duration identifies dose-limiting toxicity at doses higher than those resulting in a 50-fold exposure margin. If genotoxicity endpoints are to be incorporated into a general toxicity study, then an appropriate maximum dose should be selected based on a maximum feasible dose, maximum tolerated dose, or limit dose of 1,000 milligrams per kilograms per day. Figure 1 is a flowchart that works if you we threw the decision-making of recommended high-dose selection for general toxicity studies. Figure 1 starts with maximum tolerated dose, exposure saturation, maximum feasible dose, mean exposure margin, 50 times clinical, and asks, are or any of the above situations met? If yes, then the tested dose level is considered adequate. If no, it asks, was the 1,000 milligram per kilogram limit dose reached? If no, then additional studies might be warranted. If yes, then it asks, was the mean exposure margin greater than or equal to 10 times clinical? If yes, then the tested dose level is considered adequate. If no, then it asks, if is the human dose less than one gram per day? If yes, then the tested dose level is considered adequate. 
If no, then ask the follow-up question about incompleted or subsequent studies. 2,000 milligrams per kilogram dose level tested. If yes, then is exposure in animals greater than or equal to humans? If yes, then toasted dose level is considered adequate. If no, then consider testing up to maximum feasible dose. Then back to 2,000 milligram per kilogram dose levels tested. If no, is the maximum feasible dose or mean exposure margin greater than or equal to 10 times clinical? If yes, tested dose level is considered adequate. If no, additional studies might be warranted. Pharmacology studies. The core battery of safety pharmacology studies include the assessment of effects on cardiovascular, central nervous, and respiratory systems, and should generally be conducted before human exposure in accordance with ICH guidelines. When warranted, supplemental and follow-up safety pharmacology studies can be conducted during later clinical development. Consideration should be given to inclusion of any in vivo evaluations as additions to general toxicity studies to the extent feasible in order to reduce animal use. In addition, primary pharmacodynamic studies in vivo and or in vitro are intended to investigate the mode of action and or effects of a substance in relation to its desired therapeutic target. Such studies are generally conducted during the discovery phase of pharmaceutical development and as such are not generally conducted in accordance with good laboratory study practices. These studies can contribute to dose selection for both non-clinical and clinical studies. Toxicokinetic and pharmacokinetic studies. In vitro metabolic and plasma protein binding data for animals and humans and systemic exposure data in the species used for repeat dose toxicity studies generally should be evaluated before initiating human clinical trials. Further information on pharmacokinetics, for example, absorption, distribution, metabolism, and excretion in test species and in vitro biochemical information relevant to potential drug interactions should be available before exposing large numbers of human subjects or treating for long duration, generally before phase three. These data can be used to compare human and animal metabolites and for determining if any additional testing is warranted. Non-clinical characterization of human metabolites is only warranted when that metabolite is observed at exposures greater than 10% of total drug-related exposure and at significantly greater levels in humans and the maximum exposure seen in the toxicity studies. Such studies should be conducted to support phase three clinical trials. For drugs for which the daily administered dose is less than 10 milligrams, greater fractions of the drug-related material might be more appropriate triggers for testing. Some metabolites are not of toxicological concern, for example, most glutathione conjugates, and do not warrant testing. The non-clinical characterization of metabolites with an identified cause for concern, such as a unique human metabolite, should be considered on a case-by-case basis. Acute toxicity studies. Historically, acute toxicity information has been obtained from single-dose toxicity studies in two mammalian species using both a clinical and a parenteral route of administration. However, such information can be obtained from appropriately conducted dose escalation studies or short-duration dose-ranging studies that define a maximum tolerable dose in the general toxicity test species. When this acute toxicity information is available from any study, separate single-dose studies are not recommended. Studies providing acute toxicity information can be limited to the clinical route only, and such data can be obtained from non-GLP studies if clinical administration is supported by appropriate GLP-repeated dose toxicity studies. Lethality should not be an intended endpoint in studies assessing acute toxicity. In some specific situations, for example, microdose trials, acute toxicity or single-dose studies can be the primary support for studies in humans. In these situations, the high-dose selection can be different from that described earlier, but should be appropriate for supporting the attended clinical dose and route. These studies should be performed in compliance with GLP. Information on the acute toxicity of pharmaceutical agents could be useful to predict the consequences of human overdose situations and should be available to support phase three. An earlier assessment of acute toxicity could be important for therapeutic indications for which patient populations are at a high risk for overdosing. 
for example, depression, pain, and dementia in outpatient clinical trials. Repeated dose toxicity studies. The recommended duration of the repeated dose toxicity studies is usually related to the duration, therapeutic indication, and scope of the proposed clinical trial. In principle, the duration of the animal toxicity studies conducted in two mammalian species, one non-rodent, should be equal to or exceed the duration of the human clinical trials up to the maximum recommended duration of the repeated dose toxicity studies. Limit doses exposures that are considered appropriate in repeated dose toxicity studies are described earlier. Clinical development trials, repeated dose toxicity studies in two separate species, one non-rodent for a minimum duration of two weeks, table one, would generally support any clinical development trial up to two weeks in duration. Clinical trials of longer duration should be supported by repeated dose toxicity studies of at least equivalent duration. Six-month rodent and nine-month non-rodent studies generally support dosing for longer than six months in clinical trials. Table 1. Recommended duration of repeated dose toxicity studies to support the conduct of clinical trials. For maximum duration of clinical trial and recommended minimum duration of repeated dose toxicity studies to support clinical trials. For clinical trial duration up to two weeks for rodents and non-rodents, the minimum duration of repeated dose toxicity studies is two weeks. For clinical trial duration between two weeks and six months for rodents and non-rodents, the minimum duration of repeated dose toxicity studies is the same as clinical trial. For clinical trial duration of greater than six months, for rodents, it is six months, and for non-rodents, it is nine months. Note there are exceptions that are listed in the table footnotes that should be known to implement these studies but are not covered in this episode. Marketing authorization is covered in Table 2 and the next part of the garden, guidance. And while toxicology often interacts and overlaps with regulatory and marketing, marketing questions are unlikely to be asked on the DAPT exam. Estimation of the first dose in human. The estimation of the first dose in humans is an important element to safeguard subjects participating in first-in-human studies. All the relevant non-clinical data, including the pharmacological dose response, the pharmacology, toxicological profile, and the pharmacokinetics, should be considered when determining the recommended starting dose in humans. In general, the no-observed adverse effect level determined in non-clinical safety studies performed in the most appropriate animal species gives the most important information. The proposed clinical starting dose will also depend on various factors, including pharmacodynamics, particular aspects of the molecule, and the design of the clinical trials. See appropriate regional guidance for specific approaches that can be used. Exploratory clinical trials in humans can be initiated with less or different non-clinical support than is generally warranted for clinical development trials. Therefore, the estimation of the clinical starting and the maximum dose can differ. Exploratory clinical trials. It is recognized that in some cases, earlier access to human data can provide improved insight into human physiology, pharmacology, knowledge of drug candidate characteristics, and therapeutic target relevance to diseases. Streamlined early exploratory approaches can accomplish this end. Exploratory clinical studies for the purpose of this guidance are those intended to be conducted early in phase one, involve limited human exposure, have no therapeutic intent, and are not intended to examine clinical tolerability. They can be used to investigate a variety of parameters such as pharmacokinetics, pharmacodynamics, and other biomarkers, which could include positron emission, tomography, receptor binding, and displacement, or other diagnostic measures. The subjects included in these studies can be patients from selected populations or healthy individuals. The amount and type of non-clinical supporting data that is appropriate in these situations will be dependent on the extent of proposed human exposure. 
both with respect to the maximum clinical dose used and the duration of dosing. Five different examples of exploratory clinical approaches are summarized together with the non-clinical testing programs that would be recommended in these particular approaches. However, alternative approaches not described in this guidance can also be used, including strategies to support biotechnology-derived products. It is recommended that these alternative approaches be discussed and agreed upon with the appropriate regulatory authority. The use of any of these approaches can reduce overall animal use in drug development. Note, this guidance goes into much greater detail in Table 3, but Table 3 will not be part of this episode as numbers not mentioned directly within the text of the guidance, while critical for conducting the studies themselves, are less likely to be on the exam itself. Microdose Trials Two different microdose approaches are described below. The first approach would involve not more than a total dose of 100 micrograms that can be administered as a single dose or divided doses in any subject. This could be useful to investigate target receptor binding or tissue distribution in a positron emission tomography study. A second use could be used to assess pharmacokinetics with or without the use of an isotopically labeled agent. A second microdose approach is one that involves less than five administrations of a maximum of 100 micrograms per administration, a total of 500 micrograms per subject. This can be useful for applications similar to the first microdose approach as described above, but with less active PET ligands. In some situations, it could be appropriate to carry out a clinical microdose study using the IV route on a product intended for oral administration and for which an oral non-clinical toxicology package already exists. In this case, the IV microdose can be qualified by the existing oral studies where adequate exposure margins have been achieved. It is not recommended to investigate IV local tolerance of the drug substance in this situation because the administered dose is very low, 100 micrograms maximum. If a novel IV vehicle is being employed, then local tolerance of the vehicle should be accessed. Single-dose trials at subtherapeutic doses or into the anticipated therapeutic range. The third approach involves a single-dose clinical study typically starting at subtherapeutic doses and possibly escalating into the pharmacological or anticipated therapeutic range. The maximum allowable dose should be based on the non-clinical data, but could be further limited based on emerging clinical information obtained during the course of the study. This approach could allow, for example, determination of pharmacokinetic parameters with non-radiolabeled drug at or near the predicted pharmacologically dynamically active dose. Another example could be assessment of target engagement or pharmacology after a single dose. This approach is not intended to support the determination of the maximum tolerated clinical dose. Multiple dose trials. Two different non-clinical approaches to support multiple dose clinical trials are provided. These approaches support up to 14 days of dosing for determination of pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamics in human in the therapeutic dose range but are not intended to support determination of maximum tolerated clinical dose. The first approach involves two-week repeated dose toxicity studies in rodents and non-rodents, where dose selection in animals is based on exposure, multiples of anticipated area under the curve at the maximum clinical dose. The second approach involves a two-week toxicity study in a rodent species and a confirmatory non-rodent study that is designed to investigate whether the no-observed adverse effect level in the rodent is also not a toxic dose in the non-rodent. If toxic effects are observed in the non-rodent at the rodent no-observed adverse effect level exposure, clinical administration should be deferred until further non-clinical studies in this species have been conducted, usually a standard toxicity study. 
Table 3 provides recommended non-clinical studies to support exploratory clinical trials. Much of the detail in the table is covered in the text. It is worth noting that all five approaches include non-clinical pharmacology studies that involve in vitro target receptor profiling, as well as appropriate characterization of primary pharmacology, mode of action, and or effects in a pharmacodynamically relevant model should be available to support human dose selection. However, only the last three approaches where the clinical doses are at or near the therapeutic range include the core battery of non-clinical safety pharmacology studies. Only these three approaches also recommend genotoxicity studies, with all three asking for AIMS assays or an appropriate alternative for antibacterial products, one asking for the last two asking for in vitro or in vivo mammalian genotoxicity assays. Local tolerance studies. It is preferable to evaluate local tolerance by the intended therapeutic route as part of the general toxicity studies. Standalone studies are generally not recommended. To support limited human administration by non-therapeutic route, for example, a single IV dose to assist in the determination of absolute bioavailability of an oral drug, a single dose local tolerance study in a single species is considered appropriate. In cases where the anticipated systemic exposure, area under the curb, and concentration max from the non-therapeutic administrations covered by the existing toxicology package, the endpoints in the local tolerance study can be confirmed to clinical, confined to clinical science and macroscopic and microscopic examination of the application site. The formulation delivered for local tolerance need not be identical but should be similar to the clinical formulation. For an IV microdose study that is supported by an oral toxicology package, evaluation of local tolerance of the drug substance is not warranted. For a novel IV is being employed, then local tolerance of the vehicle should be assessed. For parenteral products, evaluation for local tolerance at unintended injection sites, when appropriate, should be conducted before exposure of large numbers of patients, for example, phase three clinical trials. The approach to such studies differs in various regions. Such studies are generally not recommended in the United States, an example of an exception would be intrathecal for the epidural route. Japan and the EU recommend single-dose paravenous administration for the IV route. Other parenteral routes should be evaluated on a case-by-case -case basis. Genotoxicity studies. An assay for gene mutation is generally considered sufficient to support all single-dose clinical development trials. To support multiple-dose clinical development trials, an additional assessment capable of detecting chromosomal damage in a mammalian system should be completed. A complete battery of tests for genotoxicity should be completed before initiation of phase two trials. If a positive finding occurs, an assessment and then possibly additional testing should be conducted to determine if further administration to humans is still appropriate. The genotoxicity studies recommended to support exploratory clinical study approaches are discussed elsewhere. Carcinogenicity studies. Conditions relevant for carcinogenicity testing are discussed in the ICH S1A document. If carcinogenicity studies are recommended for the clinical indication, they should be conducted to support the marketing application. Only in circumstances where there is a significant cause for concern for carcinogenic risk should the study results be submitted to support clinical trials. A long clinical study duration alone is not considered to be a significant cause for concern. For pharmaceuticals developed to treat certain serious diseases for adults or pediatric patients, carcinogenicity testing, if recommended, can be concluded post-approval. Reproduction toxicity studies. Reproduction toxicity studies should be conducted as is appropriate for the population that is to be exposed. Men. Men can be included in phase one and two trials before the conduct of the male fertility studies since an evaluation of the male reproductive organs is performed in the repeated dose toxicity studies. A male fertility study should be completed before the initiation of large-scale or long-duration clinical trials, for example, phase three trials. Women not of childbearing pretension. 
potential. Women not of childbearing potential, that is, permanently sterilized or postmenopausal, can be included in clinical trials without reproductive toxicity studies if the relevant repeated dose toxicity studies, which include an evaluation of the female reproductive organs, have been conducted. Postmenopausal is defined as 12 months with no menses without an alternative medical cause. Women of childbearing potential. For women of childbearing potential, there is a high level of concern for the unintentional exposure of an embryo or fetus before information is available concerning the potential benefits versus potential risk. The recommendations on timing of reproduction toxicity studies to support the inclusion of women of childbearing potential in clinical trials are similar in all ICH regions. It is important to characterize and minimize the risk of unintentional exposures of the embryo or fetus when including women of childbearing potential in clinical trials. One approach to to achieve this objective is to conduct reproductive toxicity studies to characterize the inherent risk of a drug and take appropriate precautions during exposure of women of childbearing potential in clinical trials. The second approach is to limit the risk by taking precautions to prevent pregnancy during clinical trials. Precautions to prevent pregnancy include pregnancy testing, for example, based on the beta subunit of human chorionic gonadotropin, use of highly effective methods of birth control, and study entry only after confirmed menstrual period. Testing for pregnancy during the trial and subject education should be sufficient to ensure compliance with the measures designed to prevent pregnancy during the period of drug exposure, which could exceed the length of study. To support these approaches, informed consent should be based on any known pertinent information related to the reproductive toxicity, such as the general assessment or potential toxicity of pharmaceuticals with related structures or pharmacological effects. If no relevant reproductive information is available, the potential for unidentified risk to the embryo or fetus should be communicated. In all ICH regions, women of childbearing potential can be included in early clinical trials without non-clinical developmental toxicity studies, for example, embryo-fetal studies in certain circumstances. One circumstance could be intensive control of pregnancy risk over a short duration, such as two weeks clinical trials. Another circumstance could be where there is a predominance of the disease in women and the objectives of the clinical trial cannot be effectively met without inclusion of women of childbearing potential and there are sufficient precautions to prevent pregnancy. Additional considerations for the conduct of studies in women of childbearing potential without the non-clinical development toxicity studies include knowledge of the mechanism of action of the agent, the type of pharmaceutical agent, the extent of fetal exposure, or the difficulty of conducting developmental toxicity studies in an appropriate animal model. For example, for monoclonal antibodies for which embryo-fetal exposure during organogenesis is understood to be low in humans based on current scientific knowledge, the developmental toxicity studies can be conducted during phase 3. The completed reports should be submitted with the marketing application. Generally, where appropriate, preliminary reproductive toxicity data are available from two species, and where precautions to prevent pregnancy in clinical trials are used, inclusion of women of childbearing potential up to 150 receiving investigational treatment for a relatively short duration, up to three months, can occur before conduct of definitive reproductive toxicity testing. This is based on the very low rates of pregnancy in controlled clinical trials of this size and duration, and the ability of adequately designed preliminary studies to detect most developmental toxicity findings that could raise concern for enrollment of women of childbearing potential in clinical trials. The number of women of childbearing potential and the duration of the study can be influenced by characteristics of the population that alter pregnancy rates, for example, age, disease. In the United States, assessment of embryo-fetal development can be deferred until before phase three for women of childbearing potential using precautions to prevent pregnancy in clinical trials. In the EU and Japan, other than the situations described in the above paragraphs, definitive non-clinical developmental toxicity studies should be completed before exposure of women of childbearing potential. 
in all ICH regions. Women with childbearing potential can be included in a repeated dose phase one and two trials before conduct of the female fertility study since an evaluation of the female reproductive organs is performed in the repeated dose toxicity studies. Non-clinical studies that specifically address female fertility should be completed to support inclusion of women of childbearing potential in large-scale or long-duration clinical trials, for example, phase three trials. In all ICH regions, the postnatal the pre-postnatal developmental study should be submitted for marketing approval. All female reproductive toxicity studies and the standard battery of genotoxicity tests should be completed before exclusion, inclusion in any clinical trial of women of childbearing potential not using highly effective birth control whose pregnancy status is unknown. Pregnant women. Before the inclusion of pregnant women in clinical trials, all female reproductive toxicity studies and the standard battery of genotoxicity tests should be conducted. In addition, safety data from previous human exposure should be evaluated. Clinical trials in pediatric populations. When pediatric patients are included in clinical trials, safety data from previous adult human experience would usually represent the most relevant information that should generally be available before initiation of pediatric clinical trials. The appropriateness and extent of adult human data should be determined on a case-by-case basis. Extensive adult experience might not be available before pediatric exposures, for example, for pediatric-specific indications. Results from repeated dose toxicity studies of appropriate duration in adult animals, the core safety pharmacology package, and the standard battery of genotoxicity tests should be available before initiation of trials in pediatric populations. Reproduction toxicity studies relevant to the age and gender of the pediatric patient populations under study can also be important to provide information on direct toxic or developmental risk. For example, fertility and pre-postnatal developmental studies. Embryo-fetal development studies are not critical to support clinical studies for males or prepubescent females. The conduct of any juvenile animal toxicity studies should be considered only when previous animal data and human safety data, including effects from other drugs of the pharmacological class, are judged to be insufficient to support pediatric studies. If a study is warranted, one relevant species, preferably rodent, is generally considered adequate. A study in a non-rodent species can be appropriate when scientifically justified. Generally, juvenile animal toxicity studies are not considered important for short-term pharmacokinetic studies, such as one to three doses in pediatric populations. Depending on the therapeutic indication, age of the pediatric population, and safety data from adult animal and human exposure, the appropriateness of obtaining juvenile animal study results before initiation of a short-term duration, multiple-dose efficacy, and safety trials should be considered. The age of the trial participants in relation to the duration of the clinical study, that is, the fraction of a developmental period of concern during which the clinical study participants are exposed, is among the most important considerations. This evaluation can determine whether juvenile animal studies are warranted, and if warranted, their timing in relation to clinical trials. For long-term clinical trials in pediatric populations, when an assessment of juvenile animal toxicity is recommended, the non-clinical studies should be completed before the initiation of the trials. There can be cases where a pediatric population is the primary population and existing animal studies have identified potential developmental concerns for target organs, toxicology, or pharmacology. In some of these cases, long-term juvenile animal toxicity testing can be appropriate. A chronic study initiated in the appropriate age and species with the relevant endpoints to address the developmental concern, for example, 12-month durations in dog or 6-month in rodent, can be appropriate. A 12-month study can cover the full developmental period of the dog. For either species, this design can be adapted to replace corresponding standard chronic study and a separate juvenile animal study in some instances. 
The appropriateness of carcinogenicity testing should be addressed before long-term exposure in pediatric clinical trials. However, unless there is a significant cause for concern, for example, evidence of genotoxicity in multiple tests, or concern for pro-carcinogenic risk based on mechanism considerations or findings from general toxicity studies, carcinogenicity studies are not recommended to support the conduct of pediatric clinical trials. Immunotoxicity. As stated in the ICHS-8 guidance, all new human pharmaceuticals should be evaluated for the potential to produce immunotoxicity using standard toxicity studies and additional immunotoxicity studies conducted as appropriate based on a weight of evidence review, including immune-related signals from standard toxicity studies. If additional immunotoxicity studies are indicated, these should be completed before exposure of a large population of patients, for example, phase 3. Photosafety testing. The appropriateness or timing of photosafety testing in relation to human exposure should be influenced by 1. The photochemical properties, for example, photoabsorption and photostability of the molecule. 2. Information on the phototoxic potential of chemically related compounds. 3. Tissue distribution. and 4. Clinical or non-clinical findings indicative of phototoxicity. An initial assessment of phototoxic potential based on a drug's photochemical properties and pharmacological chemical class should be performed. If assessment of all available data and the proposed clinical plan indicates a potential for a significant human phototoxicity risk, appropriate measures, protective measures, should be taken during outpatient clinical studies. In addition, a subsequent evaluation of the non-clinical drug distribution to skin and eye should be completed to inform further on the human risk and the need for further testing. Then, if appropriate, an experimental evaluation, non-clinical, in vitro or in vivo, or clinical of phototoxic potential should be undertaken before exposure of large numbers of subjects. Phase 3. Alternatively, instead of the above stepwise approach, a direct assessment of phototoxic potential in a non-clinical or clinical study can be undertaken. If this study is negative, an early assessment of eye skin distribution studies and clinical protective measures are not called for. If the phototoxicity assessment indicates a potential photocarcinogenic risk, the risk can usually be adequately managed in patients by protective measures including a warning statement in the informed consent for clinical trials and in product information for marketing. Non-clinical abuse liability. For drugs that produce central nervous system activity, regardless of therapeutic indication, it should be considered whether or not an evaluation of abuse liability is warranted. Non-clinical studies should support the design of clinical evaluations of abuse potential, classification, scheduling by regulatory agencies, and product information. There are regional guidance documents on the conduct of non-clinical abuse liability assessment that can be helpful in designing specific abuse liability packages. Non-clinical data collected early in the drug developmental process can be useful in identification of early indicators of abuse potential. These early indicators would typically be available before first human dose and include the pharmacokinetic pharmacodynamic profile to identify the duration of action, similarity of chemical structure to known drugs of abuse, receptor binding profile, and behavioral clinical signs from in vivo non-clinical studies. When no abuse potential is apparent from these early studies, extensive testing and non-clinical abuse liability models might not be warranted. Generally, if the active substance shows signs associated with a known abuse liability patterns or the active substance has a novel mechanism of action on the central nervous system, further non-clinical studies are recommended to support large clinical trials, for example, phase 3. When the metabolite profile and the target for drug activity in rodent are consistent with that of human, the non-clinical abuse liability evaluations should be conducted in rodents. Non-human primates should be reserved only for those limited cases where there is clear evidence that they would be predictive of human abuse liability 
and the road model is inadequate. Three types of studies are often completed to evaluate the potential for abuse liability, drug discrimination, self-administration of the compound, and an assessment of withdrawal. When conducted, animal studies of drug discrimination and self-administration are generally standalone. Assessments of withdrawal can sometimes be incorporated within the design of the reversibility arm of a repeated dose toxicity study. A maximum dose that produces a plasma concentration, several fold higher than that obtained at the therapeutic clinical dose, is considered appropriate for these non-clinical abuse assessments. Other toxicity studies. Additional non-clinical studies, for example, to identify potential biomarkers to provide mechanistic understanding, can be useful if previous non-clinical or clinical findings with the product or related products have indicated specific safety concerns. The approaches for qualifying impurities and degradants are outlined in ICH guidelines Q3A and Q3B. If specific studies are warranted to qualify an impurity or degradant, generally these studies are not warranted before phase three unless there are changes that result in significant new impurity profiles, for example, a new synthetic pathway, a new degradant formed by interactions between components of the formulation. In these latter cases, appropriate qualification studies can be warranted to support phase two or later stages of development. Combination drug toxicity testing. This section covers combination drugs that are intended to be co-packaged or administered in a single dosage form, fixed formulation. The principles outlined can also apply when developing products that will have product information recommendations for co-use with a specific drug, even if not in a fixed combination, for which there is minimal clinical information regarding the combination. Combinations covered might involve 1. Two or more late-stage entities defined as compounds with significant clinical experience, that is, from phase 3 studies and or post-marketing. 2. One or more late-stage entities and one or more early-stage entities defined as compounds with limited clinical experience, that is, phase 2 studies or less. Or 3. More than one early-stage entity. For most combinations which involve two late-stage entities and for which there is adequate clinical experience with co-administration, combination toxicity studies would generally not be recommended to support clinical studies or marketing unless there is significant toxicological concern, for example, similar target organ toxicity. This concern would be modified depending on the margins of safety and the ability to monitor the adverse effects in humans. If a study is being conducted to address a cause for significant toxicological concern, it should generally be completed before carrying out clinical studies with the combination, where there are two late-stage products for which there is not adequate clinical experience with co-administration, but there are no causes for significant toxicological concern based on the available data. Non-clinical combination studies generally are not recommended to support small-scale, relatively short-duration clinical studies. For example, phase two studies of up to three months duration. Non-clinical combination studies, however, are recommended for before large-scale or long-term combination trials, as well as for marketing, for combinations of an early-stage entities with clinical experience with late-stage entities for which there is not significant toxicological concern. Combination toxicity studies are not recommended to support clinical proof-of-concept studies for up to one-month duration. The clinical study of the combination should not be longer than the clinical experience of the individual entities. Later stage or longer duration clinical studies should be supported by non-clinical combination toxicity studies. For combinations of two early stage entities, non-clinical combination toxicity studies are recommended to support clinical trials, provided complete non-clinical development programs are being conducted on the individual entities and a non-clinical combination toxicity study is warranted to support combination clinical trials. The duration of the combination study should be equivalent to that of the clinical trial, up to a maximum duration of 90 days. A 90-day combination toxicity study would also support marketing. 
a combination toxicity study of shorter duration can also support marketing depending on the duration of the intended clinical use. The design of the non-clinical studies recommended to characterize the combinations will depend on the pharmacological, toxicological, and pharmacokinetic profiles of the individual entities, the treatment indications, the intended patient population, and the available clinical data. Combination non-clinical studies should generally be limited to a single relevant species. If unexpected toxicity is identified, additional testing can be appropriate. When complete non-clinical development programs are not conducted on the individual entities, then a complete non-clinical toxicology program with a combination only can be approved provided that the individual agents are only intended for use in combination. Combination genotoxicity, safety pharmacology, or carcinogenicity studies generally are not recommended to support clinical trials or marketing if the individual agents have been tested according to current standards. In those cases where the patient populations includes women of childbearing potential and studies with the individual agents have shown findings indicative of embryo-fetal risk, combination studies are not recommended as a potential human developmental hazard has already been identified. If non-clinical embryo-fetal studies have indicated that neither agent poses a potential human developmental risk, combination studies are not recommended unless concerns exist based on the properties of individual components that their combination could give rise to a hazard for humans. In circumstances where the individual agents have been tested in embryo-fetal studies, but embryo-fetal studies of the drug combination are warranted, the studies of the combination should be available to support the marketing application.